Live from the Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago, Illinois, this is Bug House! A name that was given to uh, Washington Square Park in the mid-20th century, where the city's movers and shakers of intelligence would gather to debate the topics of the day. And yeah. they called it Bug House, yeah. And they called it Bug House because Bug House is a derogatory term for a loony bin, or a nut house, or an insane asylum. So it was where people would get up and they would just talk crazy shit about things that actually mattered, and that's what we're doing here tonight. Um, things that matter, like, like love. It's February. It's the shortest month of the year. And this year, it's the longest that it'll be for another four years. Um, so that's why we squeeze in our, our love, like Valentine's Day, and, and Black History Month. Because don't give them too much is, I think, the thing behind that, right? I'm, it's not my idea. I was born into this. I did not come up with that. But I'm just, right. am I wrong? It's just, right, does it not feel shitty that like Black History Month is like, they get 28 days, 29 maybe, every couple years. <laughs> and I think it's safe to say that the majority of the people in this room are white. white. <laughs> because everyone else is studying the importance of black history. <laughs> but instead, here we are, getting drunk, eating cheeseburgers, and Heather Bodie's tater tots, that is a sex thing. Tater tots! <laughs> so, today is February 10th, and this would have been my grandparents' 73rd anniversary? Something like that? 74th? Um, as my father said it today, this is their, their first anniversary together in 11 years. Because apparently, Daddy believes in heaven. <laughs> I was gonna bring conversation hearts to spread it on the table, and I'm, I know, right? And I'm sorry that I didn't, but that's what love is, right? It's disappointing people. By show of applause, or Howard Dean screams, how many of you have been disappointed by the person you love? And how many of you have disappointed the person you love? Yeah. Right? A lot more, sure. So tonight, uh, that's what we're dealing with tonight. We're going to deal with these topics of disappointment and frustration and, um, and love. Three couples, happily together most of the time, I guess, uh, are going to talk about the things that tear their homes apart. Our first topic tonight, does the dog belong in the bed or in the crate? And then it's, you're the best. No, you're the best. And then finally, this is the right way to load a dishwasher, darling. You fucking idiot. My father, um, aside from believing in heaven and 
the Easter Bunny. Uh, he's an attorney. He does a lot of family, a lot of family law, so he does a lot of divorces. And that whole like um, irreconcilable differences. It's the dishwasher. That's true. That's a fact. That's a fact. Uh, so our debaters tonight are couple number one, Dave Belden and M.T. Cazola. Couple number two. Yeah, you guys can come up. No, it's fine. No, yeah, please be here. You guys are first to go, so it's fine. Take a seat. Have a seat. Let's welcome them to the stage. Uh, couple number two, A.J. Miller and Lindsay Williams. And our third couple, Sarah Bunger and Vincent Truman. So here's how it works. Each, each debater has seven minutes to make their case. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I, for, I left somebody out. Our judge for the evening. Oh, tater tot. <laughs> Heather Tater Tot Bodie. Whoa! So. Once again, Dave Belden and M.T. Cazola. Dave and M.T. have been married for almost 16 years? Almost 14 years. Almost 14 years. They've been together 16. Yeah. And when Dave and I were peeing together in the bathroom, <laughs> he started to tell me that, I asked him, when did you know that M.T. was the one? And he said very shortly, fuck off, I'm peeing. And then when he was done, uh, he said, we just kind of knew right away. And I said, fuck off, I'm pooping. <laughs> so uh, here's our first bout. Does the dog sleep in the bed or sleep in the crate? Here's Dave Belden to tell you that uh, crate that critter. How y'all doing? Yeah! Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. All right, first off, I know that MT is going to win this debate. I know this because at 2.51 this afternoon, she was bobbing up and down, laughing maniacally, and proclaiming, I'm gonna win, I'm gonna win, I'm gonna win! <laughs> you see, she's got some adorable pictures or video or something that she's gonna use to tug at your sentimentality brain parts, but I don't need adorable pictures to make my arguments. <laughs> Plus, I know that I'm going to come off as the bad cop in this whole situation. The one who wants control and power and dominance and a bed that I can sleep in without having to contort myself into an inverted fetal position in order to accommodate the dog. Well, if that's how the milk bone crumbles, so be it. Empty <laughs> has been my fantastic, wonderful, beautiful, best friend, wife, etc. For what, 16 years now, I think. And uh, for the last three years now, she's been campaigning for the dog 
to sleep up on our marriage bed with us human folk, rather than safely sheltered within her crate, a crate which is jauntily angled in a corner of our bedroom, allowing Nola to see pretty much everything she might wish to see. Oh, sorry, did I point too soon? Go back. Yeah, thank you. Now, <laughs> that's good. All right, we'll get there. Now, but the thing is, I love the idea of having the dog join us up on the bed. Our old dog slept on the bed, mostly. I'll try to control my hands. In winter, she'd even stare at you expectantly until you lifted up the sheets so that uh, she could burrow beneath them. It was really adorable. But when Django died a few years ago, we were determined to not repeat some of the training mistakes we'd made with her. See, Django was a great dog, but, and we miss her dearly, but she had issues which I won't go into now, except to say she was very mistrustful of strangers, especially men. She snapped at me the first time I met her, and she might have nipped a couple other guys once or twice. And she had certain other dogs in the neighborhood who she despised, but anyway, crucially, she was not crate trained. When she occasionally had to be crated, she was not happy about it. So Django died in fall of 2016, and six weeks later, we adopted Nola. Aww. From PAWS, the great no-kill shelter and rescue organization. She's a 52-pound mix of uh, Collie, Chow Chow, German Shepherd, and Australian Shepherd. Now, PAWS had brought Magnolia up from New Orleans, and we simplified Magnolia to Nola. She uh, was about a year old, and Paws had told us that during her time with them, they would place her with insecure dogs because she could calm them down. She was like a service dog for other dogs. And uh, she is a wonderful dog. She's always happy to see you, greeting every human with affection and love. And at four and a half years old now, she continues to get along with most other dogs 95% of the time. Um, she's calm and confident, and she listens fairly well. But after about a month with her, we realized we needed some help with the other 5% of the time. She killed a rabbit in our yard, and she killed a couple squirrels at the park. Yes, we are fully aware of Chicago's leash laws, and we're fully aware that dogs are predators, and that this is normal behavior for a creature descended from wolves. To be honest, it's kind of thrilling to see a dog in that stealthy dog crouch. You know, they suspend time as they prepare to spring forward at just the right moment. I, I wish I had a picture of that, but um, yeah, I'm usually trying to get her attention when she's in that mode. And the problem is, when she's in predator mode, she cannot hear us. She will not acknowledge our calls. And I imagine her chasing a squirrel into the street and getting run over but she is really on the leash 99% of the time, I swear. Anyway, we started some training, and the first thing the trainer recommended, of course, was to crate her at night, if we're not, or if we're not at home, period. <laughs> and it's important to understand that in the dog training world, crates are not to be used as punishment. They're to be thought of as a safe refuge for the dog, where they can calm down, rest, and not worry about protecting the pack and defending their territory. And uh, in yet another example of how amazing Nola is, she never even resists going into her crate. Yes, the two or three small treats that you can't see. 
um, certainly help, but she has never once fought us on this, ever. She doesn't cry when she's in there or try to get out or chew on the door. She just curls up and goes to sleep, and in the morning, she waits calmly until one of us lets her out. By contrast, it took us about two years to get her to get up on any piece of furniture. <laughs> Somehow, she'd been trained to stay off the couch and the bed, and she was extremely wary of our attempts to bribe her to join us for a Netflix marathon. <laughs> so, you see, this is the weird thing. MT really wants Nola sleeping with us in the bed. <laughs> but I don't think Nola actually wants to sleep with us in the bed. We've been trying it more and more frequently, but I think she's only stayed on the bed maybe three entire nights in all in like the last four and a half years. At some point in the night, she'll jump down and go into her crate all by herself. Or she'll curl up on this leather chair in MT's office. <laughs> a couple years ago, we even moved up from a queen to a king-size bed just so there'd be plenty of room to accommodate her and us. <laughs> Look at all that space. The thing is, we have a bunch of pictures of her on the bed, even though she's not up there that much, because it's so unusual, it's such an unusual thing that we go run and grab our phones to take a shot before she bolts off of it. And, um, oh, yeah, next one. And see, she always sleeps perpendicular like that. She doesn't understand how to sleep parallel to us so we all have room. What is with that? But here's the thing. Uh, when Nola's on the bed, it's kind of hard to be, uh, you know. No, we don't. A couple, a couple, you know, doing couple sorts of things, you know, like uh, taxes. <laughs> Uh, did you guys know that taxes spelled backward has sex in it? Great. Anyway, um, so, plus Nola has plenty of other places that she can sleep, um, even, even up against the dining room chair, apparently. Uh, <laughs> so, here's... So here's the real reason I'm worried about the dog sleeping with us. I want us to sleep with us. Aww. Happy Valentine's Day. Let's welcome MT to hear the other side of that bullshit. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to let someone else make this argument for me. Someone else who might have, oh. Someone else who might have some useful things to share that um, will um, help you all decide for yourselves. Thank you. Hi, Dave. Can you believe it's been almost four years since you and Mayor brought me home to live in your house? Ever since that first night, I've gone into my crate with no fuss. 
You tell the tree in, I go in, you shut the gate, I eat the tree and lay down with not a whimper. I don't make a peep all night or the next morning, and even if you don't want me out right away. You could get dressed, go downstairs and have coffee and come back in an hour, and I'd still be laying there like a machine with the power switched off. That's just how I am. People say it's my New Orleans background, but I'm not going to insult your intelligence by anthropomorphizing that much. It's probably my breed. But I'll tell you a secret. <laughs> Outside the grade, I do exactly what I want. I mostly come when called, unless there's a squirrel or a rabbit or a really good smell I need to check out. That's who I am. That's what I am. That's why I behave pretty much the same whether you lock me in the crate or mayor quote unquote wins and you throw my nightly treat onto the bed instead. I'm pretty happy either place. I sleep most of the 24 hours of the day, remember, so spending eight of them in a cage is no big deal. But I'll tell you another secret. That crate is ugly. Gray and beige plastic, which is fine for me. Again, I'm not fussy. So think about you for a second. You painted and furnished that room so beautifully. It's like a serene haven, except for the cage in the corner. Who knows the psychic impact that thing is having on you and there? On your sex life? Or your dream life? Who knows the impact of opening your eyes every morning to see a small prison awaiting your attention? I know it's important to train me so that I listen and have to read I appreciate the obedience classes you've taken me to and the training videos you watch online. I love our training sessions together, especially when you bring liver or lung products. But when I see a squirrel, my heart races. How can I explain? Blood surges through my veins and I am pure life. It's not that I doubt your authority, Dave. It's more like my instinct kicks in and I experience the pure joy of being in my body. Super, I prayed every night to tame this out of me. Don't you think that would have happened by now? And, and even if it were somehow possible, would you really want to? If I were a perfectly behaved animal 100% of the time, wouldn't you wonder where my spirit went? <laughs> I think we can both agree that Mare is a lazy trainer. She doesn't have the consistency or the faith that you do in my ultimate behavioral transformation. But see, that's not why she wanted a dog. You see, Mary has a slight personality imbalance that is calmed by living with creatures who appear independent in their own right. It calms her to think there are other species living in the house with their own agenda. It counters for codependency, even though I agree it's really selfish. I mean, not getting paid to be your therapist. Or maybe you blame me.
a defeatist. But what is a marriage, Dave? But the tag team negotiation of two unwieldy bundles of emotions. It's really rather a miracle that my crate is the main source of your disagreements. Unless, of course, it's a metaphor that points to larger issues of trust, codependence, and the meaning of life. But I promise, Dave, you are perfect. You have trained me beautifully. My unpredictability is not a measure of your worth. Like life itself, I am impossible to fully anticipate. And therein lies the source of my joy. There are unknown variables that will reveal themselves to both of us day upon day. That's not a flaw. It's a feature. So get that ugly crate out of the room. Or at least take the door off. I actually like sleeping in there sometimes. But I like it on the bed sometimes too. And sometimes on the cold hard floor. That's just me. Love me, Dave. Snuggle with me. Accept me as I am. What's you doing? Accept yourself. That's that. Let's hear it for Nola Cazola or Nola Belzola? Nola Cazola? Belzola. Nola Belzola. Yeah! All right. Do we have any questions from the audience about anything? Lauren, your question. The question is, that was a very intelligent dog. How did she get so smart? Is that, I, oh yeah, who's that directed at? Yeah. yeah, for MT. Um, you've, got, you've got one minute to answer that minute. question. Yep. Thank you for asking. Um, I agree she is a very intelligent dog and I would say it's her mix of experiences. Um, it's her time that she spent on the streets in New Orleans as a dog alone, presumably in the rain. Uh, there was flooding. Uh, then she um, spent some time in crates, and then she spent some time out of crates. Because how can you become an intelligent dog if you spend all your time, you know, doing the same routine? I think for her, it was a, a real um, source of, of of learning to be out in the world. Also, there's an app called My Talking Pet that you can. Uh, import photos into and yeah <laughs> so I think it was a mix of those those sources for her <laughs> great thank you any other questions for either MT or Dave or Nola no great cool tater tots Bodie what you got what do you think you ready yeah I'm ready Okay. <laughs> what is your ruling, the Honorable Judge Heather Bodie? Do I give note? Do I like say, do I? You can do whatever you want. This is your courtroom. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
This is really, really tough. And I have to say that um, being someone who knows NOLA made it even extra complicated. Dave, I'm with you on the fetal position having to accommodate. I have let my legs and feet fall asleep or stayed in a lost entire nights of sleep because I was accommodating a furry creature. So I'm with you on that for sure. Um, I can also see why you would take on the advice of the trainer. I would be inclined to respect an expert's advice as well. Um, I don't know why she won't sleep perpendicularly, and that's seriously a problem. And ultimately, I was really heartwarmed by the idea of I want us to sleep with us. I mean, it's important to maintain your dynamics separate from the dog. Otherwise, your whole world starts to revolve around her, I would imagine. Yeah. On the other side, uh, MT, I, um, I felt like the ugly crate, I don't know, wasn't totally on board with that. I feel like you can find a fancier crate. I mean, I'm talking about Nola's opinions about the crate, you know. Um, waking up too small, you really don't know though, right? All the images we get, how that affects us intellectually or emotionally, waking up to a small prison every morning does sound pretty horrifying. Um, I can see how if she did just behave and do nothing more all the time that you might wonder where did her spirit go. Thank you for understanding that line. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I can also see how like we can look into our pets and them not behaving the way we want to as a potential reflection on our own ability. I think it's really great that she's unpredictable and I think as creatures we need the option to have some element of choice and change as we grow. So for that, uh, I accept Nola for who she is, and MT is the winner. MT for Nola, and Nola is the winner. There we go. All right. Randolph Miller Jr., also known as AJ, around 10 years ago when his improv team opened for my weekly improv show. <laughs> it was pretty successful. Uh, we were Facebook friends, we saw each other every once in a while, and then not for maybe like five years until uh, he posted a couple selfies on Instagram that caught my eye. So I posted a couple comments, made some contacts, and then randomly I ran into him on the street on Belmont, like I got off the Belmont bus ran into him on the sidewalk and he said, we should hang out in person because we've been talking online. And then, this, this is the most impressive thing to me because no guy had ever done this. He messaged me on Facebook that night, Whoa. asked if I wanted to go get coffee, I still have that message, get coffee or a drink on Tuesday maybe. Now this may be a small thing to some people, but not only did he waste some time in asking me out, he set an actual date and he gave me his number and then when he texted me, he even suggested the location and the time. Uh, and I'm not even joking when I say a guy had never put so much effort into asking me out. I was, and I was 36 at this time. Uh, unless you consider a text at 11 p.m. that says, text you later, followed up by another text at 3 a.m. saying, you up? Uh, oh boy. So we went on our first date four and a half years ago, and so I'd say it went pretty well. So let's begin with the basics. Let's just say that AJ is the cook in this relationship because, um, well, he is. Uh, he grew up with home-cooked meals most nights, and my parents, well, my dad, he can make chili, and my mom can make eggs. 
Uh, they never cooked, plus I lived alone for 12 years, so I mostly ate takeout. While AJ is able to throw together a delicious meal with no effort. The first few months we dated, he would make me breakfast, which I had never had anybody do that for me before except when I was a baby. He recently <laughs> made tomato basil soup from scratch, along with grilled cheese, included, including bread that he also baked from scratch. Whoa. Uh, yeah. uh, he's made steak several times, mac and cheese, sweet potato enchiladas, breakfast on Sundays more times than I can count, eggs, omelets, waffles, pancakes, quiche, you name it. Last summer when I was training for the marathon, he would make me breakfast burritos for after my long runs on Saturday mornings, telling me to text him when I was 20 minutes away so he'd make sure that they were ready when I got home. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm impressed with myself by heating up meat or and mixing in taco seasoning or making eggs. For anyone who knows me, that's a very big deal. He texts me cute gifts and puppy videos or just things he finds funny and knows that I'll like. He tells me I'm cute all the time even if I don't feel like it. He endures my complaining or lists of dumb annoying things that happen during my day after he's been on his feet at work for seven or eight hours as a server talking to people all day long. So he comes home, you know, hoping for quiet time while I've sat at my desk all day, sometimes going the entire eight hours without speaking to a single person, which means I'm ready to chat away when I get home. But he even told me at one point when we moved in together that sometimes he needs a bit of time to himself which I actually greatly appreciated. And now I make more of an effort to give him his quiet time when he comes home. Because he could easily be a jackass and just act annoyed about it. And even if he has a bad day or gets shitty tips, he still manages to push through it with a smile on his face. Now, when it comes to friendships, family, and our relationship, AJ really is the best. Between my dad, male cousins, male friends, any men that I dated, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's a stretch. Uh, any guys that I've dated. Um, I've never known anybody in my life who showed so much affection for their other male friends. And sure, I've seen my guy friends or dad hang out with their guy friends, but mostly it's those weird, like, half-guy hugs, you know? There's really never any real contact or deep talks or genuinely making time for each other. AJ's best friend lives in Denver, and he makes time on weekends or sometime after work to chat with him on the phone for hours at a time. I've, I don't even have that with any of my girlfriends, and I never have. He genuinely loves his buddies, giving them big bear hugs and maybe even a kiss on the cheek, which I realize now that most of the men in my life found behavior like that emasculating. He loves his parents and sister more than anything and makes a concerted effort to visit them. I do not do that since my family has made it abundantly clear that driving an hour to pick me up at the airport is too far and that I'm not welcome to stay in most of their homes because they're really busy. Um, so I don't like my family most of the time. And I'm sorry, this is not about me. But somehow I always make it about myself, which is why AJ is the best and I'm a horrible human being. <laughs> Just like his family, he's incredibly generous. He's also very open and accepting of anyone and everyone. Recently, I brought up an awkward day that I had with a mutual friend of ours, and he pointed out that something that I already knew, that I made comments about other people, a lot of the time women, that could be seen as offensive or just super judgy, and somehow him saying it makes it incredibly important. It's like that saying in Father of the Bride where Steve Martin tells his daughter Annie over and over and over that it's cold out and she'll need her jacket, and she shrugs it off and then her fiance says it once, so she immediately grabs it. When AJ tells me something, it really means something. And I say this with a complete lack of cheesiness. AJ makes me want to be a better person. I trust his opinion on advice, opinion and advice on pretty much everything. When I can't figure out whether one of my sketches works or not, when I do my sketch shows and I can't figure out whether it was funny or not, 
When I'm baking something and following the instructions verbatim, but I still don't know whether it's ready. When I can't decide if I should wear those jeans with those boots, I can ask him to explain almost anything to me from how the Senate works to the plot of most Stephen King stories without feeling like an idiot. He knows how to deal with me when I'm anxious and when I get worried about leaving on time for everything. <laughs> he endures my endless quotes from friends, family guy, and countless movies. He's so fucking hilarious and goofy, maybe even goofier than I am. He does funny dances and voices all the time, sometimes before sex, which is even more hilarious. He's given me obnoxious pet names like Slick Bitch, <laughs> and it always amuses me. He farts constantly, and lucky for him, I always find fart noises hilarious. On countless occasions, we've laughed so hard that we can't breathe. We have lots of inside jokes and quotes, and even an accent that we use around each other constantly, and it's basically the native language in our apartment. It can be described as vaguely European, saying I love you turned into I love, which turned into I love, which turned into I love, which is just one word. <laughs> I did not have any serious relationships until I was 36. I had insane crushes, I went on dates, I dumped guys and it started to get serious, but I knew it was for a reason. From the time I was a teenager, I always knew I would find someone who was my friend, compassionate and funny and a goofball and really handsome and that I would never settle. And I always knew that, and I was right. AJ Miller, you are the best, and I love. <laughs> Lindsay Williams. All right, AJ, let's see how you suck as she rocks. I knew it was gonna go down like this. Here we go. <clears throat> Lindsay is the best and she knows it. Don't buy into her humble ass dog and pony show. She's only pulling the wool over your eyes to trying to make you, trying to make me look like the best because she's the best and she doesn't want me to win the debate because she's better than me even though she won't say it to all of you because that would probably mean she would be saying she is the best but everyone is supposed to think is supposed to be thinking that I'm the best because that is how the debate is won. <laughs> I'm not trying to win the debate. She's the best. You're the best, and I love you, boobs. <laughs> we call each other boobs because it's a stupid thing we do, but it's cute. You need me to prove that she's the best? I mean, besides the fact that she has put up with my farts that arrive like a thief in the night for over four years and still finds them funny on occasion? What more is there, really? The best people... The best people have a sense of humor. Lindsay fits the bill. She's quick to laugh and finds a joke in nearly every type of situation. See, she's an observer, and she knows how to distill the humor out of a situation that might just infuriate others. Uh, let's talk about fitness. Lindsay has finished the Chicago Marathon five times, wow. run countless 10-mile or half-marathon races. On top of that, she usually goes to the gym or to work out uh, at, a, at a class three to four times a week at least. I have never known a person who is so consistent in their regimen. Sometimes I won't go to the gym because... <laughs> <laughs> 
Sometimes I won't go to the gym because I feel like I have to pee before I get halfway there, and then I just turn around and go home. <laughs> Lindsay is a bad bitch on the CTA. It's pretty awesome, but I also, I also think she might get stabbed someday. She takes no shit from lame-ass people who won't move the fuck to the middle. She also confronts anyone who drives like a dick in our streets. Lindsay is an animal lover. Even though she's allergic to a cat, she has loved and put up with my demon feline friend for over four years. When we moved in together, uh, Iggy, our cat, decided after only a few weeks that I was no longer her favorite. She used to sleep in between my legs at night, uh, call back, and now she ignores me almost completely and sleeps next to Lindsay because she's a traitorous bitch. If, if I want to make Lindsay smile, all it takes is one gif of a puppy sneezing or just a puppy looking at the camera, or I could basically just send a text that's spelled out P-U-P-P-Y and I guarantee a smooch emoji is coming my way. She talked about me cooking, baking. Lindsay has become, in the years since we started dating, an incredible baker of treats. You like cookies, sucker? How about a chocolate chip Nutella cookie that will make you cream your shorts? <laughs> Coffee cake? Best I've ever tasted. She's incredibly supportive of my on-again, off-again, low-carb diet <laughs> and makes us delicious cheat day treats. Ambition. Lindsay, Lindsay, damn. Lindsay has run a free show in Chicago where she invites comedians of all stripes to come out and try their stuff, working on uh, improving their material. It's called St Sketch Test, and it runs every other Tuesday at stage 773. Email youtubelindsay at gmail.com to reserve a spot. Lindsay relentlessly pursues her love of comedy. Whether it is crafting a hilarious piece for any number of storytelling shows she does, or creating a whole hilarious one-woman sketch show for Sketch Fresh Chicago, she is always working on something. It's honestly pretty annoying, because I'm lazy as fuck. <laughs> I'm writing this at 10.45 a.m. today, and this is my first draft. I, this, and this next part is 100% true. Lindsay has already edited her, edited her piece five times. She was, and I watched it happen, editing her piece while we were sitting at the table ordering drinks. Finding joy, living in the moment, slash. We all have hard times and shit days, but going back to her sense of humor, Lindsay is an expert in never letting the glass seem half empty. A boring day at work means, I'll get, I'm getting emotional, I don't even know why. <laughs> a boring day at work means, for, a boring day at work for Lindsay means, I'll get, get a video sent to me of her coworkers sleeping in a meeting. Her old boss is a total dick. She turns that behavior into a hilarious story and, and entertains a room full of strangers. Oh, and shit. If we are going on a trip somewhere new, the, the excitement in her voice and demeanor at the mere mention of an adventure is truly one of the most satisfying things I've ever witnessed. Photography. <laughs> the thing that made me ask her out, she mentioned uh, Instagram. 
we've known each other for years, but I hadn't really hung out much. And then I kept seeing these fantastically composed, gorgeous photograms, photo, photograms? <laughs> photos on her Instagram. Lindsay has an acute eye. I'm constantly blown away with her ability to capture a moment in time with such care and craft. We enjoy going on walks, and there's rarely a trip where we don't stop and uh, where, where, where we don't stop so Lindsay can take a perfect shot of a sun ray hitting a house in a way that makes a person tear up. She, once, she even once went to Buckingham Fountain and took a photo of a specific bench for a random stranger who, who proposed to his wife there. She's a damn gem. Here's a quick speed round of Lindsay being best. Uh, thank you, Melania. Awesome gift giver. Great taste in music. Smells good. Walks fast. Reads articles before posting about them. Good with directions. Likes beer, but not in the Brett Kavanaugh way. Even though it hurts her, she still tries any scotch that I get and then coughs a little and says, whoa, it's strong, but it's good. It makes me laugh a little every time. Still amazed by the moon, actually uses her calendar and doesn't forget shit. Reminds me to get my clothes out of the laundry. Solid smile. Easily surprised, can be bribed with the promise of a cheeseburger. Is annoyed by Tom Brady as much as we all should be. Is a great listener, is punctual. I could go on, so I will. Generally, will not have more than two handfuls of popcorn at the movies. To wit, I get all the popcorn. This is a game changer. Periodically, Lindsay will shout, oh fuck, or oh shit, from the other room, and my heart will almost explode. I'll come into the room near in panic and expect to see Lindsay without a finger and say, what happened, are you okay? And then she'll say, Oh, it's nothing really. It's just my cousin bought a bigger house and it looks ridiculous or something to that effect. I understand how that doesn't really sound positive, but in those moments, Lindsay reminds me I'm alive. And that's the best feeling. When you don't have to pick up a severed finger. Thanks, boobs. To conclude, let's get to the heart of what makes Lindsay the best. She never says, I don't give a fuck. She gives all the fucks. Some nihilist shitheads out there will try to convince you that none of it matters. We're all headed toward the eventual heat death of the universe, but we know that is horse pucky. Lindsay cares about shit. Literally, if she saw a person letting their dog shit on the ground and then walking away without bagging it, she'll say something. She holds people to a high standard and isn't a hypocrite. She treats people with care and loves with ferocity. She deserves to be celebrated because she is a one, of one of the most genuine people I have ever met. She doesn't put on airs or try to be something she's not. So you know all that stuff and then, you know, putting up with the whole farts thing, one can only conclude she's the best, full stop.
Christ. I feel bad, like, watching the clock on that, going, like, like some, like, demon god going, your love's gonna run out, enough of that happy shit, I'm gonna dump all over it, she's gonna get cancer and die, fuck you, you're gonna be alone, or something horrible. No, right? Like, that's what I felt. I'm just telling you what I felt. Like, because I'm, I'm minding the clock. Those Jesus. are your feelings? No, those aren't. I, I'm minding the clock at this beautiful poetry of these two people. Look at their gross. Ew. Like, they're, they're so in love and it's wonderful. And I have to watch this clock be like, they got seven minutes to bang this shit out. Like, that was, either way, that was gorgeous, right? Yeah. Like, right? That, you guys, that was literally 15 minutes and 38 seconds, because I had to time it, of, of wonder, of, of wonderment, of, of joy, of love, of purity, of like the things that like people talk about in poems, I guess. I don't know, Elizabeth, you write poems? Like, I, I, wrote, I write poems about Right, but like you don't know the fucking first thing about that shit, right? Like that was moving, like that was like Valentine's, it's like, I don't, I don't want to fuck anymore. I just, I want to, I just want to like snuggle. I just want to like snuggle. We're both good at fucking. And like slowly like leak out whatever, like I just want to like snuggle and leak. <laughs> Is that weird? Like I just want to snuggle and leak. I don't know, guys. That was beautiful. Seriously, that was... So, um... Jesus. Um, here's the other thing. So, the other day, my wife, Katie, and I, we were... Because they're friends of ours. Katie and... Or, uh, AJ and, and Lindsay are friends with Katie and I. And we were talking about this, and Katie wanted to come tonight, but we have the kid at home. And my mom is in L.A. She's our babysitter. So, we, like, we don't bother with babysitters anymore because mom is around. When mom goes to L.A. to see my other brother... Fuck it, like we have no babysitter. So, uh, and Bodhi's here tonight, so that's it. But somehow it came up that Katie, she's like, you know, I, I kind of would rather, like, be married to her, at least date AJ. And not in a weird way, like, not in a swinger way, not in a, like, let's swap, or, like, let's break that shit up. Like, but it's just, AJ's better than me. And, and I go, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to like date or marry Lindsay. I love Lindsay. Lindsay's a friend. I love, I appreciate her. She goes, well, that's because Lindsay's awful and you're awful. So it's the same thing. So like that's just yeah. So if it ever happens, I'm just saying we know where to go. That's... Perfect. So I just ruined their Valentine's Day. So now we're back to normal. All right. Um, They're not good options, though. It's either AJ or me. Like, that's a fucking spectrum. Lauren Reed has a question for the happy couple. Lauren, what's your question? 
Um, I really enjoy accents. Will you guys demonstrate your, can you give us a short conversation that you would have at home in your little pseudo-European thing? All right, so yeah. the question is, uh, Lauren loves accents. She wants to hear a short demonstration of what like a conversation would be in your home. Yeah, here we go. Okay. Can I give you guys a topic or are you guys good? No, you don't need to. Oh, okay.
car, for example, to exercise correctly so as to avoid injury, to make an incision in someone's chest for open heart surgery. <laughs> and equally important, there's a right way to load a goddamn dishwasher. <laughs> of course there's a right way to load a dishwasher, and if you don't believe me, Google it. Google is a search engine. Um, you will find literally pages and pages of videos, GIFs, this pronounced GIFs, sorry, and images of how to properly load a dishwasher. About 30% of the search results are from the dishwasher companies themselves trying to be helpful. Another 10% is from well-meaning citizens at large showing off some dish-loading prowess. And the remaining 60% are pornographic gifs about giving your dishwashing wife your full load. It's all pretty hilarious, <laughs> if not unsettling. But all these experts weighing in are not for the purposes of oppressing those who don't believe in the great power of a well-loaded dishwasher. It's for the purposes of safety and sanitation. Without properly cleaning your dishes, you could get salmonella or E. coli or probably coronavirus. You certainly could get sick. I don't think it makes me an over-the-top OCD person because I want my dishes to be clean. If anything, it makes me really reasonable. In addition to being really reasonable, properly loading your dishwasher will get you the most bang for your dishwashing buck. To wit. If you load glasses in the top rack, you are more likely to keep them from jostling too much and breaking. You are also more likely to get more of them in the top rack, all snug together like. If you put bowls in the top rack, just nest them together like your lover spooning in their own makeout place. If you leave one rack between them, there's enough room to get all the food off on the inside and still have plenty of room for other hot top rack items like perhaps a spatula or a serving spoon, maybe a ladle. Go fucking crazy, guys. If you load that top rack right, you'll have plenty of room for such items. The bottom rack. That's honestly the easiest fucking thing in the world to do. That spacious rack is for plates and your big ticket items like serving bowls, pans, a cookie sheet, and God willing, a colander or a large pot. <laughs> you might be thinking, who could possibly get this wrong? It basically moves itself, right? Take my darling husband, Vincent. He does not know how to load a dishwasher. 
And in the same way he refuses to download Venmo or Chase QuickPay or use Caviar instead of Grubhub, he willfully chooses not to learn how to load that posh dishwasher. Sometimes he avoids using plates altogether like some conscientious objector, refusing to take part in an unjust system of dish loading and unloading. I once saw him put a plate back in the cupboard after he'd eaten dinner off it. <laughs>
for load the goddamn dishwasher. Look, guys, lots of stuff in this world is nuanced and complex and in need of multiple viewpoints to get a greater understanding. And lots of things are very clear. Kids shouldn't be in cages at the border. Season four of The Wire was the best season. And for the love of God, there's a right way to load a dishwasher. Hold on to the absolutes, guys. It's all we've got. <laughs> Sarah No Funger, I yeah. guess that, no, how do we not think, how do I not think about that, uh, that's awesome. But also, is it awesome? That's it, let's see what we have to say. Yeah. Uh, that was good. Uh, first of all, uh, thanks to anyone who came along to our uh, living room warming party. <laughs> Don't go upstairs. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, comrades, honey. My first job out of high school was at the Louis Joliet Mall. This was kind of a big deal in poorly lit Joliet. Um, I was raised in a small town called Morris, Illinois, which is just beyond Joliet. You just kind of take uh, Route 55 to Route 80, keep going until you lose hope and take a right. <laughs> the Louis Joliet Mall was a very special place uh, to me and my family growing up. We would go to church at my father's insistence, and then occasionally we would go to the truck stop right on Route 80, which always had a couple for breakfast, you know, which always had a couple like letters missing. So after we had breakfast at the Ruck Top, we would go <laughs> to the Louis Joliet Mall where they had a really nice arcade and whatever else was there. I don't know what was there. I was a kid. And then my father would buy that big Sunday Chicago Tribune. Remember when it was like eight inches thick? Yes, and it had like the, the funnies, and like a kid could go off with the funnies and not be interrupted. And the parents go, ugh, Nixon, ugh, <laughs> Anyway, that was a big deal, but the Louis Joliet Mall, that was the, that was the first place where I had my first job out of high school. There was a department store, it was called Bergner's, and within Bergner's was a little restaurant. And in that little restaurant, uh, there was a dishwasher, and that was me. <laughs> Earning $3.35 an hour, and at that time, like, lunch for me was like um, frosting, like Duncan Hines frosting lemon meringue. That was like lunch for me, and it was like awesome. So I figured if I could just get to $4 an hour, I'd be set. Remember thinking like that? I do. So like, life is a series of beginnings and endings. And while this job was like the beginning of my work career in life, it was also the ending of my perception of life being voluntarily fair. <laughs> For instance, on like, uh, like slow days, there would be a host, a waitress, a bus boy, uh, a cook, and me, the dishwasher. And then on like really busy days, we would have two hosts, and we would have five waitresses, and three busboys, and three cooks, 
and me with a dishwasher. <laughs> Upon the usual slippery brick-covered tile familiar to anyone in the food industry, if you've ever worked at Burger King or McDonald's, anything, it's always got the same goddamn slippery floor. I would take thousands of dirty plates, big glasses, um, medium glasses, small glasses, water glasses, forks, knives, spoons, cups, saucers, salad bowls, tongs, all decorated lovingly with napkins, sausage, pancakes, waffles, eggs benedicts, crepes, omelets, sandwiches, burgers, fries, and the occasional mystery liquid. And I would put them on my tray, and I would put them on the conveyor belt, and they'd go through the little washing machine, and I'd re-rinse them, and I'd re-deliver them to the front. And I took out the garbage, and I was paid for it. <laughs> Food for thought. Before auto, full automation, I'm here to tell you that there was no kindness, no compassion, no mercy shown to the dishwasher, no joy was found, apart from occasionally spitting in a water glass before I brought it back to the front. But you don't need to know that. But now with, sorry, now with full automation, thanks to an inventor named Josephine Cochran, woman power, who invented the full automatic dishwasher in 1986, my esteemed opponent and love of my life might have me believe that now the human element, um, now that the human element is removed from this menial task, now is the time for precision and kindness and mercy. Too little too late, I say. <laughs> Stay with me here. While while my work as a dishwasher could be inventoried by a calculation of sweat, wrinkle pants, blisters, and calluses, the automated, automatic dishwasher operates on a whole different level. So, like, this is how it works. It kind of, like, pulls in cool water from a hose, from, like, any kind of dwellings, like, water supply. <laughs> and then... There is a device which has like an electric current in there, which actually heats the water, and the water is pulled up along the sides of the machine where it goes to like the little propeller guys, which gives it the sprinkler thing, which puts like hot water and detergent all over your place and it goes down and it does it again and again and again and again for at least a half an hour. So now is really the time to arrange plates glasses, cutlery, pointing one way or another, really? That makes the big difference after my vocation? My vocation, brothers and sisters, has been edged out of the marketplace due to automation. Now we're nice. Think about it. Would you give a robot working on an SUV in Detroit a Danish? Think about it. Would you use a random Valley globe to help Google Maps? Think about it! Would you sweep the floor before you turn on your fucking Roomba? Think about it! Would you sincerely ask Siri, hey Siri, hey Siri, is there anything you want to know? No! Would you answer your goddamn phone? No! No, this... First world compassion after compa the need for compassion is obsolete, is ill-advised and wholly unnecessary. Well, what if your dishwasher doesn't get a particularly piece of tortillas pizza roll? 
to your fellow human being be your beginning, your deference to the machines, and ending. Yeah, so the dishwasher was a really nice cover. Like, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. 
slots. When you're alone, you can do what you want. Yeah. yeah. All right, any other questions? No? All right. Judge Bodie, what do you got for us? <sighs> I am, I have to be honest, I'm shocked how strongly I feel about oh this. <laughs> um, I grew up without a dishwasher. And uh, not so long ago, experienced living with a dishwasher for the first time. And going into this topic, I must say, I was told over and over and over again that I loaded it improperly. So when I heard this topic, I was like, I'm a victim of this nonsense. Um, but now that I've lived with one for a few years, there is definitely a right way to load the dishwasher. Now, it sounds a little bit like Sarah's way is very Sarah's way, and that maybe there's like a, you make an occasional, I thought maybe Vincent has an occasional slip up, and like the ladle's in the wrong spot, or a knife is upside down. But then we got to hear from you, Vincent, and I, having been in the restaurant industry for 15 years, uh, dishwashers are still very much a thing, and it is a very, very, very hard job. I'm shocked, as someone who was in that vocation, that you don't have a higher level of respect, of efficiency, in lining up those dishes and moving them through the dishwasher. So that's, that's pretty shocking. <laughs> You know, you know, what I found particularly interesting, and, I'm, and that's why I followed up with a question, is that it sounds like you don't unload the dishwasher, because if you take the time to load it right, it really speeds up the unloading and saves minutes of your life. Right? So, so it sounds, I kept thinking, like, I don't think he unloads the dishwasher, because if you unload a shitty loaded dishwasher, it takes forever. It's a real opinion. It's great um, and then final, I just know I want to make. No, final note I want to make is there was some talk of, of name calling Sarah, and and I heard Vincent request kindness. Um, I actually think that it's Sarah who requires the kindness in this situation, yeah. and uh, should not be name called. And so you know, I went in thinking I'm going to side with Vincent no matter how this goes down, and the winner is Sarah. Yeah. Yeah.